Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's a feisty edition of the Gegenpod, this one. Premier League legend Michael Bridges and Socceroos icon Mark Schwarzer were just meant to duke it out. Former Matilda Amy Duggan will be in to play Peacemaker as we look at the Premier League sack race, the big talking points in Europe, the Socceroos World Cup countdown and the Matildas World Cup draw with plenty more. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Let's get into the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This is the Gegenpod. So it is a full house on the Gegenpod this week. Premier League star Michael Bridges, soccer icon Mark Schwarzer and former Matilda Amy Duggan with you for this one. And there's so much to get to. So let's get straight into it with your best and worst from the weekend just gone. Amy Duggan, we'll start with you. <sighs> Well, how can we go past the Women's World Cup? What an absolute cracking weekend it was. 800-odd VIP guests walking the green carpet in Auckland to find out who their teams will play come next year, waiting with bated breath to find out who Australia would line up against. And it turns out it's Ireland in the opening match, obviously followed by Nigeria and Canada. But I cannot wait for that Irish match. Best of the weekend, I cannot look past my twin boy and girl's 16th birthday. I switched off from football this weekend because if I didn't, my life wouldn't be worth living. It was a big moment, so it was great to celebrate a bit of time with them. And I was pleased because Tottenham Hotspur got beat off Newcastle United. My team lost, but I just switched off. So I've had a fantastic birthday celebration weekend. Well, for me, it's none other than Fulham winning away at Leeds United. Michael Bridges, how did you feel about that? I missed that one what? as well, funny enough, Swansea. <laughs> What's that? I missed that one as well. So yeah, it was a great, week- yeah. a great weekend. Yeah, no, so Fulham obviously, you know, I think defying a lot of the, the critics. And, and um, look, I certainly thought they'd struggle. I didn't think they would have as, as good a start to the season they've had. Uh, Mitrovic scoring and Willian scoring as well. So Fulham, great result. Leeds United, oops. Bridgie, not looking good, is it? <laughs> Well, in reverse order, let's go back around and get you not so good. So, Mark, we'll start with you. Not so good? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, what's not, not so good this weekend? Um, oh, the whole saga about Cristiano Ronaldo, honestly, it's just like, come on. Like, the guy's not in, now he's in again. Now he might even play. Uh, supposedly Bernie's bridges with all the other clubs and people are saying, don't sign him. Um, oh, just get on with it, honestly. Let's just wait until... I can't wait until January till, till this saga's over with. <laughs> If they let him Moving go. on, he's a very, 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 very angry, grumpy old man this morning, isn't he? Um, what I've, what I've got to say, the teams that I used to play for. All right, Leeds United lost. How much time have we got? Sunderland Jesus. lost. Carlisle lost. You, the team I support lost. So honestly, you couldn't script it. Everybody that I was either looking out for or have had a, a, an appearance for, they all had a nightmare apart from Newcastle United who obviously got the result and they're in fourth. But it was just a nightmare for all the clubs that I played for this weekend. Everybody got beat. There you go. And there's a lot of clubs. Don't worry, Bridgie, because uh, your tips wouldn't have gone any better than mine then on Friday's forecast. I um, am struggling there. Uh, But for me, it was VAR again being in the headlines, obviously uh, introduced in Scotland. Um, It was overused in the Celtic game. And then here in Australia um, with the Sydney Adelaide game and and that crazy red card. Uh, Thankfully, though, uh, after the fact, some common sense has prevailed. What a weekend it has been. And unfortunately, speaking of the worst of the weekend, we have to start with the sack race. We flagged it on last week's pod. If Steven Gerrard didn't get a result against Fulham, it could be curtains, and indeed it was. Aston Villa have moved quickly, paying the release clause for Unai Emery as his replacement. And now Emery returns to the Premier League, having previously managed Arsenal, of course. Mark Schwarzer, what did you make of the events of the weekend as they concerned Aston Villa? Well, I mean, what a turnaround, Aston Villa. Um, I mean, you read, I don't know if you read, but I saw a lot of uh, social media quotes of fans and regarding Steven Gerrard and moving on and obviously Aston Villa's performance. Um, 
Very, very interesting. Uh, you know what? I, I go back to the start of the season where Steven Gerrard made a very public falling out of Tyrone Mings. And supposedly Tyrone Mings is a really nice guy, very well respected and very well liked in the change room. And for whatever reason, he, started, he decided to pick on one player like that. And I think that was the beginning of the end for him. I mean, you can go back and say losing his, 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 his coach in Beale was a big thing. Um, but yeah, so... I think the response from the players, the performance of the team, um, spoke volumes of obviously how how unhappy that camp was. You know, Emery, I was a little bit surprised only because he turned down Newcastle. Um, He's still then, regretting that. He's still yeah, regretting that. He must be, yeah. Because I, I was just a little bit. I was like, no, nah, Emery's not going to go there. I, I just didn't think he was going to go after. Why would he leave Villarreal for Aston Villa? Because um, of the success he's had there, so I, I was a little bit surprised. Um, but he said what he didn't—he didn't know whether an, another opportunity like this would come about. So therefore, you know, he wanted to jump at it. And look, let's let's be honest: Villa are a sleeping giant. Maybe just like uh, managing teams that have got a villa in them. Boom, boom! Yeah. That's my <laughs> best of the day. There you go. But it's, um, I, I found it very, very surprising as well, Swartz, that he, he was actually going to take it. But I still think he's regretting not coming back to the Premier League from when he got the opportunity with Newcastle United. I think he feels he's got unfinished business. Can he do it with Aston Villa? I uh, I don't know. I, I honestly do not know. I was going to say, his first meeting uh, match in charge will be home to Manchester United. So uh, coming in on the 1st of November, obviously. So uh, a big one straight up. Well, there's an easy three points there for him. So he'll get his season off to a great start under his first managerial game. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, listen, I want, I want to see him do, do do well. I like Villa, I like them on paper. And I thought it was a huge decision. You've just mentioned Steven Gerrard um, had the fallen out with Mings. The biggest decision that the caretaker coach over the weekend made was dropping the captain McGinn. And they had a massive, massive response from that. There was, you know, so just goes to show if you're there to make the big decisions, sometimes they pay off and sometimes they don't. So that 4-0 win against Brentford was pretty important because it just gets Villa, you know, a bit further away from the relegation zone. As we know, it didn't work out for Unai Emery at Arsenal. If it doesn't work out at Villa for him, are they still at risk of getting relegated? I mean, we all say these teams are too good to go down. Is Villa in a situation where they are too good to go down? Is Emery certain to make sure that they don't fall further into trouble? I think I think Emery obviously has the experience now, right? So when he came to Arsenal, look, there's no doubting he was a good manager, but it just didn't work. The fit, it worked for a little bit, and then after that, it fell apart horribly. Um, and I think uh, I think he learnt a lot from it. He showed when he went back to Spain that he's, that he's a top-class manager, that he can turn things around, he can get teams playing some good football and win, you know, he won the Europa League with Villarreal, which was remarkable. Um, so... Look, I think he'll be a better manager for it, and I think he'll certainly be better at Aston Villa than he was at Arsenal. Uh, To answer the question, are Villa too good to go down? No, they're not too good to go down, because I I, I just think at the end of the day, over the course of 38 games, if you're not good enough to stay up, then you deserve to go down, and Villa find themselves in that position. I think they've definitely got enough good players on paper. They can score goals. They've just shown that in the last game. I think they can defensively be good. They've got a fantastic goalkeeper. Now I think they've got a coach that tactically knows what he's all about. So I think they're going to be absolutely fine now. I, I think so too. But what, what, I'm, what the point I'm trying to say is that no team is too good to go down. No, what no, I'm saying no. is I, I agree with you. I, I think they're, they're more than good enough to stay in the league and, and have a, a decent season. But... I just don't think any team really is out of the equation. Just If you're having a bad say, look, Leicester City, they're not too good to go down. They shouldn't go down, but they could go down if, if, if they're not careful. Obviously, the result on the weekend was, was a great one, but you know, there's still a long way to go. Amy, does Unai Emery get the respect he deserves? Obviously, Arsenal fans are, are very coloured from his time at the club, which didn't work for them. But does it mean that his reputation in England has been disproportionately lowered? I think it does a little bit, and you can tell that by the coverage that he's got or the lack of coverage, I guess, that he's got with this signing. Like, it came out pretty quickly, but the fans weren't, you know... I don't think the fans were boosted by the signing. Um, There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of fanfare around him being there. Clearly, he's got, you know, a pretty good track record, but sometimes we can have the blinkers on a little bit. I think, you know, only time will tell and they will come around. If, If Phyllis start... 
getting back-to-back wins over, you know, that, that first short period of time, which they should. And we all we are all very well aware of the coach bounce, but they, he, you know, he'll come in and they should start getting a few more back-to-back wins. And, and if that happens, I think they'll come around. But the excitement factor is just not there with this site with this signing. It, it doesn't help when you've got people like Darren Farley who always try to mimic him as one of the comedians that takes off all these managers. And when he when he talks, you get you get that kind of press. It happens with a lot of the American managers. That come over here, there's always that thing, and, and Farley does a fantastic Steve Bruce. So he always seems to be trying to win, in, um, you know, impersonate some of these guys that come across. That won't affect you and I, Emily, but I think a lot of it is to do with the press. He, he can get rid of that um, tag by doing it on the field with the players and, and keeping Villa in the Premier League. If you go onto it and you have a look at Emery's record at Arsenal, particularly that first season, I mean, 22 games undefeated. Yeah, it wasn't bad. What a record. Yeah. No, it was unbelievable, actually. Yeah. I mean, they, they missed out on the Champions League in the end. They fell away, but they did get to the Europa League final. Yes, they got beaten by Chelsea. You know, those things can happen. But what I'm saying is it wasn't a disastrous yeah. season at all. And I think so, that's what's hurt I think so he's got a point. He's got a point to prove, and I think it's unfair as well, mate. I'm, I was actually... Del- I mean, some of the Villa fans aren't happy with the appointment. I would be absolutely delighted because of the um, credentials that he's got. And like you say, the record that he had at Austin, I still think he was harshly done by. And I'm, I was delighted being a Spurs fan because I thought they were on the up then. I, I don't know what Villavan, why Villavan should be uh, upset with him signing for them because I yeah. actually think they've done really, really well to get him. Yeah. Bridgie, where to next for Steven Gerrard? Counselling. Very, very interesting. Um, the, where was that, Amy? I said counselling after watching his side bounce back with a 4-0 oh. thrashing. <laughs> He'll definitely be in counselling. Um, it, it's going to have hurt him. I, I don't know where he goes. There's going to be jobs come up. Um, you know what he what he did at Rangers was absolutely uh, fantastic. He got them back bouncing and competing against Celtic. Uh, I, I feel like he lost a massive, massive um, influence alongside him when Beal Beal left and went to QPR to to go and spread his wings because he was the he was the main man with the analysis. He knew exactly what the process was, and I don't know whether Stevie was missing him uh, having that kind of knowledge and experience alongside of him. So where does he go? Uh, some job will definitely come up for him. Does Stevie Gerrard need that? stress again in his life considering what he's done or is he just going to hang on because Jurgen Klopp's under pressure is he is he ready for a job like Liverpool I honestly don't know what is next in line for Stevie Gerrard but he no doubt he's a winner he's shown that as a player he's he, you need failure I mean the top the top people in the world whether you're coaches or business people the, the failure you need failure in your life to feel what it's like and they bounce back from it and you become better people so there's no doubt Stevie is going to be a top class manager and I think he'll take a little bit of time out now and he'll take the right job he'll not dive into something um, straight away because then the next one hurts you I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up back at Glasgow Rangers Giovanni Van Bronckhorst is under a little bit of pressure they, they drew at home to Livingston on the weekend Livingston even had a player sent off they got thumped obviously by Liverpool um in the in the Champions League, I mean, even though it probably wasn't really a true reflection on the on the performance, however, I think he's on a bit of shaky ground. And now that Steven Gerrard's even available, I, I wouldn't be would surprised. He, if would he, he go back and tarnish that, considering the success he had there? Can he go there and better that? Depends on how hungry he is to get back into management. So so look at his record at Villa. It, it wasn't particularly great. So what other team in the Premier League would take him? You can't tell me. I don't think many Liverpool fans would say, yeah, yeah. he's going to take over at Liverpool. Where, where would he go? Well, very valid point. God, I don't like agreeing with you. <laughs> one last one on Villa. Bridgie, how does the new manager bounce happen? So it, we saw the 4-0 win under a caretaker. Now Unai Emery comes in and his team's momentum is right back up because of that result. But do you remember instances in your career where you experienced the new manager bounce? And if so, tell us how it actually works. Well, I'm going to give you the devil's. I'm going to give you the opposite side of the fence. I'm going to give you one at Leeds United how it didn't bounce, and I'm going to show you that it doesn't always happen in that way because you get you get a fresh slate, right? And it depends how you approach that as a as a manager and as a player, because you know a new managers coming in. You can win a manager. The manager can win the players over in that first address when they are in that dressing room, when they're in the canteen, whatever it is. It's all about how you present yourself. And I've been in a situation where we had. Um, certain Peter Reid came into the Leeds United job, and he had to deal with the, you know, the egos of your your players like your Mark Vadukas and your Harry Kules, and the address went horribly wrong. 
you end up having an argument with Mark Viduka in front of all of the players. There was a massive like debate that lasted 30 minutes and he lost the dressing room there and then. And in another instance, I was at Hull City when um, Phil Parkinson took over um, or, or, or was in there and it was his first address to the players. And he had the whiteboard all set up. He was trying to give a team talk and he tripped over the whiteboard, fell on his backside. There was paper flying everywhere and pens. And he went bright red and he ran out the room like a little schoolboy. And we all looked at each other and went, is he kidding? This is our gaffer. He had, you could have laughed it off. And it, it's incredible how the decline happens. Um, and Phil Brown came in not long after that at Tull City. But Leeds United, we went through Terry Venables, Peter Reid, Kevin Blackwell, it was Eddie Gray. It was just a process and a recipe for disaster. Nobody could get that bounce. So it doesn't always happen. And I've never been at a club where we've I've had a bounce in a positive way because, uh, like I say, Leeds had a lot of managers. Le- um, Sunderland was just Peter Reid by himself. Newcastle was Bobby Robson. I had Paul Simpson at Carlisle. And the two clubs where we did have a managerial change, it was a complete adverse effect. It had an, it was a, it was a nightmare. Mark, do you have an example uh, to contrast Bridgie of the new manager bounce actually working? <laughs> um, I, I had it. We had it at uh, I had it at Middlesbrough when it, it wasn't quite. It, it was a new a new face. So Brian Robson wasn't replaced. He was he was uh, assisted. And, and it was one of the men that, that Michael Bridges mentioned earlier on was Terry Venables. So TV came in and it wasn't long after he was managing Australia and I kind of fell out with him a little bit and then next minute he's been employed as the assistant manager at Middlesbrough and we all kind of knew he was coming in to take over and Brian Robson was still as head manager but TV was going to come over and run the show basically and I, I was obviously a bit a bit concerned about where I was going to, you know, position with him, but it was all okay. But the minute he walked in and the first, just the way he spoke to players and the way he assured players, the way he talked to them and asked them questions about what players thought was going wrong, what the players thought they needed, he automatically he instilled a calmness, a confidence in players that actually he was listening to our concerns because we felt that that wasn't happening and it wasn't being addressed. So we we had an immediate immediate turnaround I mean the next result we didn't win we actually lost the next game but we the performance was really we shouldn't have lost we lost that was, that's a good bounce back then isn't it god no but it was because the performance was was actually excellent and from that point onwards we actually grew and got better and better and we avoided relegation easily in the end we were up by I think last five four, four or five games of the season we were down at, at Christmas time I think at Christmas or just before Christmas we were bottom and then come the end of the season I think we finished four or five places above the relegation places and with ease. So again, TV did it the right way. Speaking of relegation, Leeds United are in the relegation zone. Jesse Marsh, Bridgie, will he even make it to the World Cup break? Do you know what it is? I've got to say, after spending time with that uh, man on pre-season and seeing the way that he was able to have that charismatic approach, the way that he addressed the players that we've talked about, he, he's the enthusiasm, absolutely amazing. And I think the lads had gone from a Bielsa where they didn't have that kind of relationship with him and it, it, it had... You know, they understood it uh, and they, they got it and they were all on board with it. And even speaking, seeing them in the, the you know, seeing and hearing what's been going on of late, it, I thought it was very, very harsh after the game. I know they've lost. I thought it was very harsh the way uh, Jesse Marsh, he went to address the players and the fans after the game. And it's the first time I've seen the fans turn on Jesse Marsh. So there's a massive, massive decision that's going to have to to come. The I think he has got until the World Cup. Um, because they've got Liverpool away, they've got Tottenham away. The home game against Bournemouth is the big one, and I think everything hinders on the the Bournemouth result to see see how it how it goes. But he's definitely a man under pressure. He knows that. He recognises that. But the best thing about the the club is seeing the players come in and have a chat with them, and they are still backing that guy because they're enjoying. That. I think they've the they feel that they've still got something to give, and so has Jesse Marsh. And I just hope the fans can give him that little bit more time because I still like what he's all about. Well played. Well played, Bridgie. Mm. Well, full face bat. Well padded down the, you know, get the batted up in the bat and the pads there and well played. Nobody was catching that one in the slips, were they? 
<laughs> Go on, Amy. Well, I was going to say, eight games without a win is four straight loss. There's problems, I think, with this team for me watching, there's problems at both ends. So they've led a couple of times this year and let those leads slip. That That's a serious problem, um, being unable to hang on. But they're struggling with finishing and defensively they're, they're struggling a little bit. And, and Schwartz, I'd love to hear from you because there's criticism of their goalkeeper as well. Yeah, he hasn't quite played. Um, well, he hasn't played as well any any anywhere near as well as he played uh, the last couple of seasons. Um, but you know what? It's it's hard because he's only quite he's only young. Um, he 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 came into the scene and did incredibly well. The team has now struggled for the last two seasons, um, and eventually, what happens is you go through dips as well in your own form, and it's very very difficult to get yourself out of it because the place just gets more and more difficult to play at the, the pitch it feels like it's like it's getting heavier to run out there it's heavier to play f- more freely um everything's going against them so i i totally understand it um i i i mean i understand bridgie's bridgie's uh, analysis of the situation um but I, I, I don't see, I can't see Jesse Marsh staying Schwartzy, much what the, longer. What, the, what they've got to remember, they took Chelsea 3-0 at home. They absolutely played them off the park. First half against Arsenal were non-existent. The change, change of tactics at halftime, Rodrigo came off, Bamford came on. They took Arsenal's second half. Arsenal had one shot on target. Leeds had, I think it was eight. The finishing in the yeah, last home game um, was... Well, it, it's a massive, massive problem. So uh, you've got to start as a as a as a fan. You've got to start thinking. Well, hang on. We're, I know we're losing games, but we are creating chances. If we weren't, if Leeds were not creating chances, I'd be saying, yeah, yeah, it's time to flag something. But they are, and the chances are just going to take something to come off somebody's backside to get them kick started. But at the moment, in the last two games, the game against Fulham was nowhere near good enough on the park, and the game against Leicester was nowhere near good enough. So they are the only two matches this season where I've kind of thought, hang on a minute, there's something amiss here from the the attitude, the determination, the body language, and too many mistakes. So that that is what is going against Jesse Marsh and, and his team at this moment in time. But you've still got to look at the positives. And hence why that could be the end, right? So you've got Liverpool away, which obviously not many people are expecting Liverpool, too much Spurs, Bournemouth. And then the Forest next game them. after that. Yes, that's the one, right? Bournemouth, so, is a, Bournemouth is a home game. That's the one. That's the one. If he doesn't win that, and, and oh, I, I can't see any other option. Let's talk about some of the candidates on the market. Sean Dyche appeared on Sky Sports and said, watch this space about his return to management. Marcelo Gallardo will be on the market after he leaves River Plate in December. Wolves still yet to appoint their permanent replacement. Gary O'Neill has been extended. So do we like any of the candidates out there? Is Sean Dyche going to get himself a Premier League job? Is a club going to think outside the square with a Marcelo Gallardo? Uh, Who do you actually think could come in and replace Jesse Marsh if he's to go? He's not gone, so we can't discuss that one. He's not gone. (laughs) The one one is Wolves. Wolves' job is up for grabs. And I think, would would you like to see? Would, here's one for you, Swartzy Amy. Would you like to see Sean Dyche in charge of Wolves? I think it would be fantastic. <laughs> you know what? Listening to him the other night on on uh, Monday Night Football, um, he, the way he wants to play, um, obviously he's playing. You know, the way he wants to play is no not much different to a lot of managers, right? But obviously at Burnley, you are you are you have a group of players of a certain level. So I think the togetherness, the team spirit, the morale and the the energy that he produces amongst his players is is second to none, right? So it'd be interesting to see if he were able to take on a, a team with better quality players, a different style of football and see how, if that's, if he's able to adjust to it. Isn't that Jesse Marsh's strength too? The enthusiasm, bringing yeah. the team together, all of, you know, pumping them up. We, we've 100%. seen it. So, you know, it's... Yeah, no, no, I agree. But it was different people, right? So it's, it, it's different people. And sometimes sometimes it's just a different voice, right? It's a different approach. Um, and the other thing is that Sean Dyche has got experience. Look, does he fit Leeds United? Technically, generally speaking, no, he doesn't. Not the way they want to play football. If I, I think if if uh, you appoint someone like Sean Dyche, you're you're accepting that you're going to play a different style of football. There is no way the backroom <laughs> staff in Victor Orta would allow Sean Dyche to manage Leeds United. I'm telling you that he goes against every vision and philosophy that they're all about. I can't imagine that Sean Dyche would end up at a club like Leeds United, uh, let alone probably Wolves. I, I I just but then you know what? Wolves are in a position where at the moment 
the, the way things are going, who wants the Wolves job? Well, I think, to get I think the one that Teo mentioned before, uh, Marcelo Gallardo, I think he, he could be the the one that could fill the boots of the, the Wolves. Is it going to be too late for them by then, though? That's the well, they're thing. talking about even bringing Nuno back in. Yeah, I know. It's incredible, isn't it? I don't think uh, the, I, the players, actually, some of the players wouldn't accept that. That actually wouldn't surprise me because I think their their list of people who are interested is going to get shorter and shorter the longer it goes on if they keep playing like they are. And therefore, you're going to struggle to find someone who at least they're, they're used to, they know what he's like, and they and they play, he had he did play some good football to begin with, um, but obviously lost the change room by give all accounts. A, give it a Steve Bull. There you go. That, that man knows how to find the back of the net. Can I just go back to Gallardo for a minute, though? Because I was just going to say, he's previously linked with Manchester United and Barcelona. He's won 14 clubs, uh, 14 trophies with River Plate, obviously. He himself played for PSG, Monaco, um, River Plate, the national team for Argentina. He's won um, some some big trophies on the side. His stats are really good. I think for 408 times he, he led River Plate. He had 223 wins and 101 draws and only 84 losses. Like, that's a pretty incredible record. And I know, you know, you can't compare the leagues. Obviously, I'm not asking anyone to do that. I just feel like if you're taking a club that's had 14 years and is embedded and culturally embedded in success in one way, would he be able to get results straight away in the top league. The other issues in the Premier League, uh, which we will get to, Amy, Liverpool lose to Nottingham Forest. They are a Jekyll and Hyde team at the moment. What did you make of Liverpool's performance? Uh, I don't even know. What do you do with this side? Um, It's crazy. I I picked them to win. I know, you know, I did get warned that, you know, it would be hard for them to win at Forest. I'm like, this is Liverpool. Why are we even having this conversation um, Van Dyke, obviously being as a defender, being criticised for heading the ball back across rather than you know being five yards out and banging it into the back of the net. Klopp's obviously up and down with this. He doesn't. He, he seems almost. Um, he seemed almost resigned to the fact that they're not going to be right at the top this year. I don't know how Liverpool says that that's okay for Liverpool not to play Champions League. To me, is bizarre. Amy, they have had have their fair it. share of injuries. They're too predictable at the moment, and they are much better when Nunes is part of the side. That, that's all I can so, say. So, so Amy, after 11 games, you're writing Liverpool off and saying they're not going to finish Champions League. No, no. Like, I Michael th- Bridges, I, Michael I think Bridges what, said it after 10 games, and I now you're saying Amy after 11. I think what Amy is saying there, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Amy, I was coming up with the same thing. When you play Harvey Elliott, Curtis, and Fabinho, where was it? Fabinho in the midfield? The three midfielders in the last game against Forest, I thought he disrespected Forest. It was almost like, "Listen, we'll go out. This is going to be easy. Yeah. We're not going to win the league Curtis this year. Jones, it's Fabinho, about Curtis Harvey Jones." Elliott. Yes, I think he was almost resting them players for the Champions League, and I think they've given up on the league. I really, really do. Now, is that is that acceptable? I don't think that, I don't think they've given up on the league. I, I don't agree with that. There's no way in the world. They've given up possibly winning the league. He's so why definitely given up winning the league. league. Why would you disrespect Forest like that? No, but they need a bigger squad. They're not. They're not. Hang on. They're not disrespecting Forest. Liverpool Curtis, fans say that they are Harvey, world champions, world class. That is not a world class midfield. Harvey Elliott. Harvey Elliott has been playing every game this season, and he played a lot of games last season until his injury. Fabinho obviously is a, is a very good player. Okay, Curtis Jones. Th- there's one. There's one question. Okay, th- that's a, a, an example or, or one person I could say. Okay, yeah, right. Is he of the level of the rest of them? Probably not. But he's still he's still always done a job when he's come in and played for Liverpool. And up front, Salah, Firmino, Salah didn't even get Cavallo. the ball hardly, Schwartzy, in that even... game. Like no, but what I'm saying what I'm talking about is the the, the personnel. It's not disrespecting Nottingham Forest. They lost I, the I don't battle. Think they lost the battle in midfield. They couldn't control the game like they normally do. They got and I thought I was chuffed a bit when I saw the result actually because when I saw the lineup of Liverpool. I was thinking, oh god, yeah, here we go, giving Forrest a right, a right free hit at them. So you're saying Schwartz, like he obviously he's got lots of injuries to deal with that he needs a bigger squad. Um, look, oh, I he, think... he needs more money to spend because he hasn't spent as much as Pep. Here we go. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. No, I'm not. I'm not, that, no, I'm not, not that, you. I was doing a Jurgen Klopp. Anyway. I was doing a Jurgen Klopp. All I'm just saying. All I'm saying as well is, if you think about the players that are injured, I mean, some key players, right? So, I mean, I know Matip's been a bit of a glassman anyway over years. Diaz is a big one. Konate, okay, is is in and out of the team anyway. But Jota, those two certainly, Matip and Jota have missed. Uh, Mane obviously still missed. They've never really been able to replace him as yet. Um, you know, Darwin. Darwin up front has 
struggled a little bit for consistency. Um, but you know, uh, I, 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 I think. So they're I not think, good you know enough what, overall for. for if they have well, enough, they're not throwing it away. A couple of seasons ago, they had a lot, a lot of injuries, and they still perform really, really well. Right? They're obviously in a, in a, at, a, at a bad moment, and they've had a bad start to the season for Liverpool's standards. But I'm not writing them off after 11 games. No way in the world. To finish in top four, no way in the world I'm writing them off after 11 games. Would you sack Klopp? <clears throat> no. no. Why would right. you sack Klopp? What, no, just, I'm only you... asking, mate. Jesus, yeah, steady on. If you look at the time he's been there and the, the, the success that he's had and what he's been able to do with the club and how he's been able to build them, how would you sack him? You know, I know people have talked yeah. about it. I know lots of people have said, Liverpool fans even saying it. You know, it was just ridiculous. Let's move on to one other Premier League result we need to discuss. Michael Bridges, we were speculating as to whether or not Newcastle needed to load up in the transfer market in January to consolidate top four. Do they need to set their sights even higher than that? They can't set their sights any higher than that. Anything is a bonus. I think European football, even if it's top eight, is seen as a massive success this year. They've got January to come. Uh, they've got the main man, Isak, who will come back after the World Cup, hopefully fit and ready to go. They're in a very, very good position. Eddie Howe has absolutely galvanised this team, the the region. He's grasped the, the new direction that they want to go, and he's spent the money very, very wisely. And he's he's got a team of players that... He, He's just built massive relationships with them, and they've all they've all just gone in the right direction. And I think you know they could have been a lot higher. You think of the draw against Manchester City when they were winning three to three one. Um, the draw with Liverpool, the 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 match at Tottenham, winning beating Tottenham for the first time this season that they've been beaten at home. That was a huge huge result. And um, who knows where they can go now? I'm gutted to beat Tottenham because Tottenham is my Are team. You? But I am absolutely delighted because they've got into the top four and at the start of the season, Mark Swarter annihilated me along with a lot of people on social media for me saying that Newcastle could get into the top four this season. Oh, hang on. Did we say after 12 games or did we say after 38 games? What, we what said we after 38 games, but I'm just having oh, my okay. moment to shine. So let me finish, please. Oh, so, oh. <laughs> just take, take a photo now, Bridgie. Take a photo of the table exactly. now. Exactly. Yeah. So tail, like I say, can they go higher? Potentially, yes, they can. Who knows? The the, the you know the 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 backing with Amanda Staveley in the group. Um, they may say that January when they're, if they're in a position where they're still on the with a potential to get Champions League football, they may invest heavily um, just to get the right personnel on board. But we'll have to wait, wait and see. Like I say, it's all about. I think it's about top eight finish for them. But man, they are flying high, and the region is absolutely buzzing. So, so Bridgie, if they do spend in January, who are they going to buy and what are they looking for, more to the point? What are they looking for? Callum Wilson has been absolutely unbelievable. Can you rely on Callum Wilson? He's got an injury-prone an injury um, prone history, so I still think they need to get another striker in there. They've, they've got Isak Eaton play up there on, on the left-hand side. Um, Almiron is having the time of his life. So if you're asking oh, me for one more, I what would I go say. for? I would go for a left-back and a striker. And possibly a winger just to cover for Almiron. <laughs> I'm not asking for much. And a midfielder and another one. <laughs> I, I, I actually I think they need another midfielder. I, I do as well. I mean, look, uh, as well as Sean Longstuff has done, Joe Willick's done okay. I still think they need another midfielder yeah. too. Good like top top quality. Yeah. Um, up front, I think they need another striker. I think look, Almiron's been unbelievable. Twelve games, six goals. What a rev- revelation he's been. Um, I think Dan Burns done really, really well at left back. I think he's done anywhere whenever he's played. I think he's done incredibly yeah. well. Their, their signings, are, I think, have been very good. Botman They've looks outstanding as well. Now he had to wait his turn. So, and the goalkeeper Pope as well coming in, absolutely outstanding yeah. for Newcastle. Um, and yet for England, was an absolute calamity. But the, the fans up here love him. You're listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This is the Gegen Pod. We'll go around the continent and also talk about the Socceroos World Cup countdown and the Women's World Cup draw on the other side of this short break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. We've got Mark Schwartz and Michael Bridges and Amy Duggan with us today. Quickly on some Champions League stuff. We are halfway through a Champions League week. And, well, some interesting results this morning. Chelsea going through to the knockout rounds. Manchester City, not so impressive. Nil-all draw against Dortmund. And Postacoglu's Celtic held to a one-all draw by Shakhtar Donetsk. But Michael Bridges, as part of an Optus Sport original, you caught up with Celtic assistant coach Harry Kuehl recently. Tell us how that went and what that chat was all about. So, it's um, yeah, it was lovely to catch up with him. I went up to Celtic, had a chat with Ange, and obviously having a chat with Harry to see... Um, why he took the opportunity um, to work as an assistant when he'd been a manager for um, obviously a, a couple of occasions and he just said he, he wasn't going to let that opportunity go to work under somebody that had such um, a successful managerial career and uh, to obviously get with Celtic uh, into Champions League football as well so he, he said he's absolutely loving it he's thriving on it and he's loving the um, he said he's loving the pressure that Ange is putting on him to deliver sessions and he's always trying to um, ask him why he's doing this how does he want to deliver it and he, he's, he's just said he's making him um, understand a bit more of the process so I, I was delighted to see Harry and you don't get to see Harry smile very often Swartzy do we? No No, no So to don't. see Harry smiling in a relaxed environment tells me that he's um, he's loving life as a coach he said the toughest part about the job um, was being away from his family because obviously he lives in his family live in Manchester um, and he's he's up in Glasgow, so but it was lovely lovely to see him, and I thought the interview you'll see his personality come across um, tremendously well, um, and I, I presume that's down to the interview process. We won't touch on Barcelona because a lot of people will have listened to this after they've played their penultimate Champions League game. They might be knocked out at this point. But Kike Setien, a former Barcelona manager, comes in and replaces Unai Emery at Villarreal. That battle to be best of the rest, third place though. Atletico Madrid are now in the chair. You know, uh, Bill Bow had their fun. Betis are, are still contending. Sociedad are up there as well. But Mark Schwarzer, is it now a case of uh, Diego Simeone and Atletico? They will be the number one contender to try and break the Real Madrid Barcelona top two stranglehold in La Liga at the moment. You'd be mad to to write them off. I I, I still think yes, Atletico Madrid with all the players that they have the the um the history and the years of of uh, being the one that can break that monopoly of the, of the two teams of Real Madrid and Barcelona. I think Sociedad. I don't think you can write them off. I I think the last couple of seasons they've been knocking on the door. <clears throat> um, and uh, there's certainly some, you know, teams that that, that you you can't underestimate. But I, look, I still think Real Madrid Barcelona uh, are ahead of the rest. Being at the Real Madrid, being at the El Clasico, I was actually surprised at how poor Barcelona were. Um, I thought Real Madrid at times was was really really good, um, but I was surprised at Barcelona. And uh, you know what? It's going to be interesting to see how that folds unfolds because, by all accounts, they were. They were budging on getting to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, um, and if that goes pear shape, who knows what's going to happen and how many, how much more of the uh, image rights they need to sell, and how is that even possible? Can that continue? And what will actually happen to Barcelona if they are allowed to continue to do what they're doing? And by all accounts, it doesn't look like it's it's going to end anytime soon. Well, speaking of budgets, of course, Sociedad sold Alexander Izak so late in the transfer window, they'll have that money to reinvest as well in January if they want. But there's one other La Liga game we need to get to, and it segues us nicely into our Socceroos World Cup countdown because our Mobile, who had been struggling for game time, seemingly thrown on in a lost cause situation, down 4-0. At least he set up a goal. Cadiz may have lost, but at least he made an impact off the bench, Schwartzy. And can that lead to more game time and much-needed game time for him in the countdown to the World Cup? Absolutely. Look, he's a, he's a top kid. I said it when I interviewed him. I've had a little bit of... I've had a couple of opportunities to spend some time with him after that when I was in Spain myself because we, we actually... He lives, like, literally 10 minutes maximum from where my house is in the south of Spain. A uh, beautiful part of the world. And I got together with Awa and, his, and, his, um, and his, his girlfriend, lovely girlfriend, on a couple of occasions. And he, look, no doubt, he, he's finding it tough. When you're not playing football, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter how beautiful the area is, the surroundings is, it's difficult. Language is a problem. There's all the usual things, right? So World Cup coming up. So you can imagine what's going through his head, not playing games and the communication and everything else. But he's determined. He's working really, really hard. 
And uh, look, I think it's a great it's a great uh, moment for him that he had a chance to get back into the team, get on the pitch, and actually make a difference when he gets on. That's what's key. And I and I, you know, we've had lots of chats over the last uh, couple of weeks, and he's a strong boy mentally. And uh, look, I'm 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 confident that he will get some more game time, and I wouldn't be surprised if he finds himself in that team sooner rather than later. Just quickly through some of the other Socceroos-related headlines, Nathaniel Atkinson's been cleared of a serious ankle injury but will sit out for what was quoted as a few weeks. Aiden Hrustic, Graham Arnold, has said he's spoken to him and is optimistic about a recovery in time for the World Cup. Cam Devlin, as a result, more and more important as these injuries stack up. And Mark Schwarzer, it leads me to ask you, what is our starting midfield versus France now that we have Aiden Hrustic in a race against time? Oh, look, I'm. I've. I've. Again, I've spoken to Aiden as well, and he's hopeful. Like you've just said, he's hopeful that he'll be fit. He doesn't think. Uh, he thinks it's probably unlikely he'll play any any football until then. Match match football, um, but who knows? Hopefully, he may. Um, look, if if he's fit, I I, I think he has to be there because I I think he's one of our best players, um, and and obviously him and him and Moy. Uh, Aaron, Aaron, obviously, is getting enough game time. He's if he's not starting, he's in and out of the team at Celtic, and I, and I think it really suits him the way that Ange plays and the way that Celtic play. Um, and and hopefully he continues and 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 stays fit. Uh, Tommy Rogic, again, another one I I think needs to get some consistency. Needs to play every week, and if he can and show his some form that we know he can show, then I, I think he's a he's a given as well. He has to be in that team. Schwartzy, how much does that injury, uh, like the one we're talking about with Rustic, you're saying he's not going to get back on the pitch before the World Cup, like playing competitive games, but how much does that interrupt a player's fitness, their touch, their timing? It's still a gamble. It is, but I mean, we we do, there are some friendlies, from my understanding, um, leading up to the World Cup uh, in that short, short break. Uh, I hear that, that teams are actually having a whole lot of friendlies. Um. So maybe maybe he'd be ready for something like that. Look, I think there's been on many occasions many examples of players going to the World Cup uh, off the back of playing very very little football. <clears throat> Unfortunately, it's probably not a great example to use, but more often than not, there's quite a few of them that don't particularly do that well from it, and you can clearly see they've been out of it. However, um, with with the the national team, with players like Aiden Rustic and how professional he is and how fit he is and the the you know the the the, physio, the physios and the sports science department within the federation as well. I'm more than confident that if he's fit, if he's able to do the work on the football pitch, at least in the training on the training ground and anything extra, I think he'll still be in enough of a good shape to play for Australia. With we've got Harry Souter, Kai Rolls, Nathaniel Atkinson, potentially anyone else. Who, how many walking wounded can you take in? That's the big question, yeah. That, that, that's going to be Graham Arnold's biggest dilemma. That really is because you can do it with one or two players. I don't think you can do it with many more. You know, you, certainly players that you're looking at playing. Uh, well, you, certainly within, within your squad, you'd be looking at every player. It should be at, at a level where you're thinking, right, any one of these players, I may need to play. Um, and if you're already going there with four, five, six players that have hardly played any football in the last some not in 12 months, others in the last couple of months, that must be a real concern and a real headache. I'd, I'd be worried. I'd be worried about that. Trent Sainsbury was an interesting one. He turned up as a train-on at Melbourne City. So, I mean, he's left his team in Qatar. Uh, uh, can we assume that that means that he's gone and sought out this opportunity because he knows he's going to the World Cup and there are no risks there? That is a good question. You know, it's a bit. It is a little bit strange. I mean, look, some we we know often, certainly within Asia, that players can move off from their clubs very, very quickly. New managers come in, change of change of heart, they, they change of direction. They want to bring their own players in. I'm not quite sure what's happened with Trent, but to to see him back in the A League um, again, the, the worry is how much game time will they get between now and the World Cup with Trent? I suppose he's not injured. He's, you know, he's, he's he's going to be able to train. He's going to be at full, well, certainly at a, a, a good level of fitness. And Arnie obviously knows him very, very well, and he's been in and around the, the Socceroos for a long, long time. So I would I would suspect that Arnie 
is not really concerned about the fact that he's not going to be playing every week. And if anything, he's probably maybe a little bit happy with it, the fact that he's not have to worry about him possibly getting injured. Now, one more on the World Cup countdown. We're about two weeks away from the squad of 26 being named, but you might have seen over the weekend uh, Uruguay, Netherlands, other countries announced their squads of 55 publicly. Gareth Southgate, like Graham Arnold, is keeping his secret and has not told a single player who's going to the World Cup. Um, Mark and Amy, you both played for your country uh, in the countdown to a major tournament. Would you rather these things be out in the open or do you think that the guessing game is worth playing or is it actually a case-by-case basis concerning how strong or deep your squad actually is? I think you're limiting yourself by putting that 55 out there um, because, as you said, you don't know where injuries are going to come from. I'm pretty sure there's a a decent squad of 50 players he's looking at, let's be clear, but he doesn't obviously publicly want to put it out there. There'd be players you know are going to the World Cup and every squad inside every squad knows who those players are. Then there's the next tier where you know you're fighting for a position and then there's the outliers that just maybe if they have, you know, a great couple of months right before the World Cup, we'll we'll jump in. And we've spoken about all three tiers of that. To go and lay it out there for the world to pick and and be public about and have their opinion on, I don't think it's – like, I get it, but I don't think it's healthy for the playing group. So I I think, you know, holding on to it. And and with all these injuries, he might just not know. (laughs) He might not know. Schwartz, do you think it's going to to adversely affect the Netherlands or Uruguay? No, I don't think so. No, I mean – each manager sees it differently, I think, and, and they'll have their different relationships with players in the group and informing people. <clears throat> Some will just think that, look, no matter what happens, these are my 55 players or whatever that I'm going to choose from, no matter what happens. I think with Arnie, and exactly what Amy was saying there, that he just won't know at this moment in time because there are so many question marks over injuries, fitness levels of certain players, and then there may be more. Hopefully there's not. There may be more injuries. And the other thing I think what's cool about it is that you have the opportunity that if someone does do something special the next three or four weeks that you might go, hang on a second, this guy, something about him, something's caught my eye, something, it might be a little bit different. Maybe someone who's been looking at for a while and they just needed something extra from them and maybe they're going to do something. Who knows? There may be a complete flyer at the end. I think it would instill hope in players that fall outside that core group that know they're going, but it may also instill complacency in some of that uh, middle group as well. And so I think, you know, knowing that they're in that squad. So I, I actually think from a coaching perspective, it's smart to hold your cards close to your chest. Bridgie is the one member of this pod who wants England to win the World Cup. Would you rather have known the inner workings of Gareth Southgate's mind and seen what his depth chart actually looks like all the way down to number 55? Or do you agree with his approach to keeping it secret? I would like to see the process. I would like to see the squad members because there was a couple of players playing in Italy. Smallen for Roma as having an absolute cracking season. I'd love to think that he was going to get a go. And we've got another um, ex-player, Tamari, again. Another lad that I'm thinking, where, where are they? Because Maguire has been a nightmare, do you know what I mean? Who did you say, Tamari? Not Tamari, sorry, Tamari. I'm just saying, I'm just, because I don't know Tamari. I know Tamori. <laughs> Tamori. You know who, who I mean. Who, who are you going for? <laughs> Who's your team? Listen, anybody in place of Maguire at this moment in time. So it would just be good to actually see. What I would like to see is is the amount of players and how far his web has been cast to see who is on the radar. Yes, I would. Do you, do you reckon he's going to pick Harry Maguire? Like if you if you had to put money on right now, do you think Gareth, knowing what he's been like, how he's made his selections throughout the last I, twelve months in particular, I think do you would, think you'll pick him? I think he will. Yes, I, I do as well. You know Gareth more than I do, and I think he will because, yeah, I, I really do. He's he, he's had him at past tournaments where he knows he's had been able to rely on him, and I just think the pressure's got to him at club level and obviously the last internationals. But when you're going away from for that World Cup, I think he will pick him, and that's. Um, well, that's a good thing or a bad thing. You might get the best out of him because he will do a job for Southgate if he puts that faith in him. But um, very, very dodgy at the minute. To put a full stop on that discussion, I think fans and media alike want to see the 55. I think it would be a huge benefit to uh, Australia if all our teams, senior and junior, put out those long lists as well as just the squads. Let's move on to a different national team, the Matildas, because we had the Women's World Cup draw and the Matildas got the Republic of Ireland, Nigeria and Canada in that playing order in their group. Amy, you were on the live coverage as it all happened. Now that you've had a few days to decompress, how was the experience and how's it left you feeling? 
my, it was an emotional roller coaster, wasn't it? Waiting for all these names to come out and then thinking we got one team and then realizing they can't go in our group and just having to wait. Um, I'm a little more relaxed today than I was on Saturday night. I think this group is winnable. It will not be easy, but it, the road is never easy for the Matildas. Um, you know, and to face Ireland first up in what will be, um, by ticket sales numbers, an absolutely packed out stadium. And there are calls from fans at the moment to move to move that game. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, it'll be unbelievable. We know what Canada uh, has to offer, obviously, playing them just recently. And they will be, that will be, to me, the game that determines one and two in this pool. It, it should be clear cut. It will be challenging, the Nigeria game, but we should have um, we should have the experience and we definitely have the players to get that job done. So I'm feeling a little more relaxed. What I'm not relaxed about, Teo, is the, is the road ahead on our side of the draw. Um, Amy, I put it to uh, Steph Catley on, on the day of the draw when I was with her and, and I asked her about Oshwala because that's obviously Nigeria's best player and one of the best players in the world. They're not going to be easy, are they? They are. They are going to cause us some problems. Yeah, they they play different a different style of football to what we're used to. I think um, the only thing that works in our benefit here is knowing uh, who their couple of stars are and what those strengths are. You know, and analysis these days allows us to watch that um, over and over and to form a plan to deal with it. So I'm sure that the team will be all on top of that. Um, it. It means you've got to be up for the game, though, and you've got to be 100% switched on. What I think with this group is that there are no excuses and there are no second chances. You have to get it right. That That's where it is. I'm not quite calling it a group of death like some people, but I think that, you know, there, there will be no excuses and it will be tough. Um, Nigeria, as I said, play a very different style of football, but they're also not the African champions this time around. Um, the African champions uh, we beat, so that's good. And I, I feel where they're sitting at the moment in the way that they're turning um, their players over and probably aging a little bit, that that will be okay. Um, but it will be, as I said, it will be a different style of football than what we're used to. Bridgie, there is a chance that Australia could face England in the round of 16. And England, the European champions, they've got China, Denmark and a qualifier, potentially Chile, in their group. So nothing that will frighten them. But are you anticipating that if England win their group and Australia finish second in theirs, there'll be a showdown in Brisbane between Australia uh, and England? Had to be done, uh, sorry. Here's the, here's the thing, Bridgie. England got really England got really stitched up by the draw because you've potentially got Germany waiting in the quarterfinals. And and it doesn't get any easier from there. Do you know what it is? You've got to beat the best to be the best. Recently they've just beaten the USA. That was a huge, huge game. That was a huge moment. Uh, for the Lionesses, it was it was great to actually see them come through that and get get that result. I know there's been a lot of turmoil in the the USA squad off the field um, with things that I, you know I don't know too much about, but I know that it's it caused them a lot of problems. Um, but England found a way. Now I've seen the draw. I would I wouldn't like to see the Matildas and England come up against each other. Um, because I, I would be, I'd, I'd be torn against my daughter. She wants the Matildas. I want uh, the, uh, I want the, the women to, of England to win that. So the, the household would be a nightmare. Uh, and like you say, the draw hasn't favoured um, England because of the Germany. Uh, but you've got to beat them. And I, I really feel after winning the Euros, I'm, I'm sorry, Amy. After winning the Euros, I think England can go and do it back to back, and they can bring the World Cup home. They look so strong. I think they will be right up there, and I just hope that we finish top and we get to play Denmark yeah. and we go through a, you know, a different path there. Um, but who knows? It's a World Cup and anything can happen. But we're, you know, I think Australia will be wanting to finish top and hopefully face Denmark in that next round and avoid them um, straight up. I think, though, you're right, Bridgie. They'll be right up there when the time comes to lift the trophy. And I think, you know, you said they beat America, and yes, there have been some off-field issues, but it's a, it's longer than that. They're um, they're going through a transformational phase where they lost a big core group of players and they're blooding new players and they're, you know, their team is coming through and it's not, it's not performing the way that 
that America used to, and they're not getting the results now that they used to. They are still number one. They would be absolutely rubbing their hands together at the draw that they have and the group that they have. I'm going to call it now that the golden boot winner will come from that uh, US side again, purely because all the goals get scored generally in the group stage. And yeah. and there's this, you know, it's going to be, I don't want to say a cakewalk, but it will be, it will be an easier road for most people, um, uh, for most of their people. But yeah, I think we're going to see a new world champion, and that's that's the call I'm going to make. See, I was I was on the same page as you, Amy, thinking that the US women maybe weren't going to win this World Cup, and then they got the easiest draw you could possibly conceive. They don't have to face England, Germany, Canada, or France until the final. We don't know if Spain are taking their strongest team. They ended up on the US's side. They'll probably get, you know, Italy, Argentina in the round of 16, then maybe Japan in the quarters. And yes, they've lost to Japan in the past, but this Japan team nowhere near as good. I really thought this would would be uh, where they would come for their comeuppance. And instead, I think they've got one foot in the final already. Maybe they do, but I don't think they'll win it. You're, actually, yeah, you point out a few things I um, I probably hadn't deciphered right down to the detail, Teo. Um <laughs> And I, now I'm like, ooh, I'll have to go away and have a little think about that. I don't think they'll win it. I just don't I, I don't think that they're playing. You know, it is months away now, but at the moment I don't think they're where they need to be. Amy, that could have an adverse effect on them, playing easy games. It could go into lackadaisical. They might not get the challenge that they're needing. They might not get be able to get that tactical style of play to break down the, the best teams. Um, I know, I, you know, a lot, a lot of the time we say about PSG when it comes to the Champions League, they win their league so easily. Year on year, but in the Champions League, they've you know they have so much failure. It could could be a similar thing with that easy group. It doesn't mean that there's going to be an easy pathway. Or it could for help them. them warm up. Well, which depends which way you look at it. Half glass full, half glass empty, Mark. Well, one thing I know about that with- US team is they will believe that they can win it, and they will believe it even if they're two 0 down with five minutes to go. So you can never count them out. But I just think the quality of the, the the European nations and the investment that they're making in their football and in their leagues at the moment, and and the WSL obviously, um, you know lives and breathes that we're watching it just grow and grow and grow and the quality of players that are coming out of that league just speak in volumes let's go from the teams to some of the players because in the WSL Arsenal still yet to concede a goal this season they beat Liverpool 2-0 Caitlin Ford hit the post had an assist and Steph Catley kept that clean sheet playing at centre back because Leah Williamson and Rafaela the Brazilian defender are both out injured so Amy We've seen Steph have to play centre-back for the Matildas in their time of need. Now it's Arsenal's time of need, and she's been put in there. Is this an insight into what might have to happen for the Matildas come World Cup time? I hope not. Um, I I love Steph on on the left-hand side. I love her bombing up and down when she gets the chance. Her wide ball delivery is absolutely amazing. Of course, she's a great player. She's a stalwart of this team. She's got um, so much experience under her belt. She's always going to be an option in the middle. Is it my first option? No. Um, I like her where she is. Mark, you were there with Steph reacting to the draw, but was there any discussion about uh, how long she's going to have to be at centre-back with a couple of Arsenal starters out of the team? Uh, no, we, we didn't actually even talk about it. was all fixated on the draw and, and, and what the, the various permutations could be and, and, and how, how the group looked, you know, trying to digest the fact that, you know, playing, playing against Ireland, Nigeria and Canada... Um, but look, she's they've done an unbelievably well. Arsenal and Steph Catley obviously has been fantastic, as has Caitlin Ford. Um, they're they're a side that uh, over the last couple of years have shown that they're more than capable of winning the WSL, but also doing quite well in Europe. I um, I've, I've what I've found though as well is that think the great thing about it is if you know Steph playing at centre half, which she's done before, she's shown that she can do it. I think it's just great that you have that that, that ability to, to to move her around as a, almost like a utility player. I, I think they're invaluable, um, and like Amy was saying there, you know, like the experience that she has and she's a mainstay of the side. Uh, you know, the, the the importance is that she's fit come the World Cup. You know, we don't want any more bad injuries. Well, speaking of those results in Europe, and Bridgie, you played it's coming home for us before. Arsenal went away to Lyon, the reigning European champions, and they beat them five one in the Champions League. PSG, they're a good team. Chelsea went away and beat them. Are we now seeing the moment where the WSL follows the lead of the Premier League and becomes the number one women's league in Europe? Yeah. I would say so. And Amy, you know, I'd like your little input on here just to see if I'm going up the wrong garden path here. But I think it's the the quality of players that have come in 
and the quality of week on week playing against each other, the standard in the games um, is a lot more higher, I would say, than I, th- I think what well, in, in France, um, in the Germany, and that they might have one or two tough games um, per season. Whereas in the, the WSL, year on year, the teams are getting stronger. They're buying the best players in the world. They, they, the girls are getting. Um, to play in front of huge crowds and, and it's just it's going from strength to strength not only in the top division in the divisions below we've seen Liverpool come up now um, you know there's a Newcastle United are really geared up with Amanda Staveley and I just think the competition if you're playing against the best in the world and your comp- competitive games week on week out then you're going to go and compete against the best in Europe, and that's why I think the WSL yes is, and I think we'll see a, I think we'll see an English team win the win the Women's Champions League this year. Yeah, I I agree with you, Bridgie, and I think the only thing that I'll say, um, I agree, WSL is fast becoming the best league, if not already, the best league for women in the world. Um, The problem I have with a lot of these women's leagues is the disparity still between the top and the bottom teams within the league and the training facilities, the investment and all of those things. And it really just comes down to the big dollar clubs and those that don't have unlimited funds. And I know you see that in the Premier League, um, but I I would love to see our game not quite go to, to that quite extreme. It's not happening as frequently as we've seen it in the past, though, Amy. We have seen some monster score lines week on week. I think that that deficit is coming down, and that's why it's getting a lot a lot stronger. We do, we still see it in the Premier League every now and again. I mean, Liverpool obviously costing some of the job when they win nine nil. Um, or was it? Yeah, was it nine nil the one? I can't remember. Uh, seven it seven or nine. When it, yeah, something like that. But you still see it. Whereas you're seeing it a lot less frequently in the WSL and that's why I think it's a lot more competitive now well that's why I also think Champions League is really important and um, I know it's a European compact at the moment but I'd love to see the world club challenge like this where we've got you know the top teams from all around the world being able to compete against each other in some sort of tournament because to me I think that would really um, just set the bar a little bit higher and just quickly on that Chelsea win away at PSG, Sam Kerr played the full game, then came off the bench against Brighton in the WSL three days later, had an assist, but it's only one goal in six so far this season. Amy, is there any reason to be worried or is, is Sam Kerr just keeping the powder dry? And we know that there's a hat-trick around the corner or there'll be four in a game at some point and she'll be right back up there on the scorer's charts. If she just wants to keep them all and then unleash them at the World Cup, I'll be more than happy with that. Look, she's in a little bit of the a World lull. Cups, hang on, if she, if, she, if, she, if she only scores one in every six in the lead-up to the World Cup, I think that's no, a No, I think worried. the ones that Surely she's not nice scoring. Little... What I'm saying is the ones that she's not scoring at the moment, she's just holding on to them so she can do hat-tricks every single game for us then. Um, Tay, she's no, playing look, she's... too much... FIFA, she's playing Sorry, too much Amy. FIFA. That's what you were going to say, Bridgie. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> playing too much FIFA against Mbappe online. She needs to concentrate in the training park. I know. Like Sam's, um, Sam's obviously in a little bit of a lull at the moment. I, I guess you have to ask why, but I also look at the quality of players around her, and as long as she's in the right positions, which you know, even in that game, I watched her runs into the box. Um, you know, when Peniel scored, for example, she was right in there ready for either the deflection or the shot or the cross. So I think she's in the right place at the right time. There's just so much quality in that league and in that team and on the park at the moment um, that she's having to share it around. I'm not I'm not worried. And one last one on the Aussies overseas. Amy, I'll give you the pick of the board. What was your, your other standout Aussie overseas of the Matildas <sighs> that are currently plying their trade either in the UK or in Europe or even in America? Well, we saw Mackenzie Arnold make a, a save the other week. We've seen Mary Fowler get on for Manchester City. But I think uh, I think what you want me to say, Taylor, is Claire Wheeler <laughs> coming on in the league. And I think that that's amazing. Look, I, I follow all the Aussies wherever they're playing all around the world. Oh, Tamika also, Tamika's side in Norway also won the championship. How can we forget that? Um, Polk's on the score sheet. There's like, there's so many great moments. Aussies actually making headlines around the world. That is the important. Um, that is the important thing. Our girls are getting minutes, but are they getting enough? I guess that's the question here. When you talk to someone like Mary Fowler, she's in that Manchester City training environment. We know it's amazing. We know they have amazing facilities, but at some stage you have to weigh that up with actual playing minutes. For me, uh, I want to see the players getting more minutes um, or as many minutes as they possibly can. Uh, in the lead up to any tournament, but all the time, I wouldn't want to be a player just in a great training environment and not playing. So the question comes here: Do you, do you drop down to a lower 
tier of football or, or a lesser team just to ensure that you get minutes? Is it all about winning? And I'd like to see what Bridgie and Swartzy have to say about that. Um, I, you know, it's an interesting one because we know uh, on, on campaigns gone by that some managers may have been very vocal, certainly when it comes to the national team, Australian national team, is that they'd rather have players training and, and uh, in, in, in a European environment at the top level uh, not necessarily playing every week than playing back in Australia in the A-League. And obviously it was highly controversial when that's been said. And, and, and I think there's a, I think that's very harsh to say that, but I think also there is a balance. You, you, you've got to weigh it up. I think game time is the most important thing. Mm. But there also, you have to also look at the level. So I think when you look at the game time and you think, okay, the World Cup is at this level, where's the game time in comparison? How does it rate? I mean, you're never going to really necessarily replicate the World Cup level, but how close is it? Is the distance between wherever you got, you, know, you have your opportunity to play that great that you're better off going and training at a far higher level with better players? I mean, that's always, I think, what you have to weigh I out. still don't think you can keep your mojo going <laughs> for that length of time when you were just training on a day-to-day basis with nothing at the end of it. It's it's all about games. We play the game to play games. We, we love football because we want to play the matches and nothing can replicate. No matter what you do in training to get match fit, you need the match fitness. As simple as that. So I'm I'm all for games. Don't care what league it is in. Obviously, you made reference to Mary Fowler, and you know she's not starting games, and she's only coming on in games. So she's doing them. She's she's at the highest level. She's at a very very high level, training day in day out, and she's getting opportunities. Minutes, yeah, and I think over time she will long. end up being a starting starter for that team. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. So that's the key because she's still getting time, right? She's still getting minutes. She's still getting opportunity. So she is getting that reward. She's not just training every week and not getting any game time whatsoever. And I, I think that's important. And then there's light at the end of the tunnel. And like you said, Amy, I agree with you. It won't be long before she's in that starting lineup week in, week out. Mark Schwarzer, thanks for joining us this week on the Gegen Pod. Thank you, mate. Michael Bridges, all the best to you. Have a fun weekend. Thank you very much. Can I just ask our um, our Australian friend from the Socceroos, Mark Schwarzer? Schwarzer, have you got a bit of a cold I detect there? You sound a little bit stuffed up on the nose, or no? It's just my big nose, mate. Is it? Um, uh, you know, you know that's you've like. got the flu, mate. Um, you've got the flu. So I just like let, let all the Gegen Pod listeners, um, if you want to make some money in the next month, please invest in Kleenex tissues. Um, share prices will go through the roof. The amount that Swartz used this week on his nose. Good night. God bless. And I, and I listen to that because you're talking from a man from a lot of experience. <laughs> Amy Duggan, thank you for your company this week. Thank you. A big thanks to Amy Duggan, Michael Bridges and Mark Schwarzer for joining us. Don't forget the Premier League has a huge clash to kick us off this weekend on Saturday night with Manchester City away at Leicester City from 10.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Goal Rush from 1am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday features Spurs, Chelsea and Newcastle. And if you're pulling through or up early on Sunday, you can see Liverpool play Leeds United from 5.45am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Then on Monday morning, there's Arsenal hosting Nottingham Forest from 1am Australian Eastern Daylight Time, followed by Manchester United against West Ham from 3.15am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. La Liga kicks off on Saturday morning at 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time with Mallorca against Espanyol. You can see Barcelona play away to Valencia from 6am on Sunday and Real Madrid play Girona at 2.15am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Monday. The WSL continues with a mega Monday, including Sam Kerr's Chelsea from 1am Australian Eastern Daylight Time as one of five concurrent games, including Manchester City versus Liverpool, while Arsenal play West Ham from 5.45am on that Monday morning. And the J-League is back after a week off, with Kevin Muscat's Yokohama F. Marinos playing Urawa Red Diamonds from 5pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday. Thanks for listening to The Gegen Pod. Make sure you rate us five stars wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe as well. My name's Teo Pelizzeri. Thank you for your company this week on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gegen Pod.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 